Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the OGs, I have to learn how to pronounce all these candidates' names edition. This week, we're breaking down all the election results from the U.S. Senate, the congressional races, and the governor. That's going to take up the bulk of our show. But then at the end, we'll spend a few minutes on the leaked abortion ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court. Joining me this week is our fearless leader, Anthony Shoemaker. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Good to be here. Good to be awake after that long election day. It was a long election day. Yeah. So let's dive right into those results and start with the big race, U.S. Senate. So J.D. Vance is now the Republican nominee, and his victory in the crowded field showed that Trump's endorsement is still pretty important to GOP candidates, no? Trump's endorsement was crucial for J.D. Vance. I mean, really, it's what decided this race. J.D. Vance was uh, up against uh, Josh Mandel, who'd won statewide uh, before as state treasurer, Mike Gibbons and all of his money, Jane Timken and the Portman endorsement. So it it was clear that when Donald Trump gave his blessing to J.D. Vance to change the race. Yeah, they think it's worth, what, maybe 10 to 12 points in the final matchup that he went from about low teens to finishing around 32%. Yeah, and all the money from uh, Peter Thiel didn't hurt. No, and for those of you who don't know, Peter Thiel um, is a Silicon investor. Is that correct? I think so. I believe so. Okay, and he spent about $15 million in this race. Yeah, which I understand might be a record for a uh, single investor into a... Into a US I think it might be. It's definitely a lot of money. And there was a lot of money spent in the Republican primary. I think on radio, television, and ads, there was about $66 million spent in total. Yeah. And, and J.D. Vance was able to get about 32% in the seven-way race. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So on the Democratic side, it's going to be U.S. Representative Tim Ryan, who started running general election ads before the primary was even over. And those ads actually make him sound pretty conservative. Like he says he's going to go after those Matt Dolan voters, which are 20 percent of Republicans who voted for the guy who intentionally didn't seek the Trump nomination. So Ryan is already running for the center or even maybe the center right. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is, is Tim Ryan, it, it seems like the the idea is you're going to hold on to Democratic voters voters because they don't really have any other option. So where where can you get more voters? And that that Dolan Lane seems to be what makes the most sense. Dolan had a strong showing. He came in a very strong third, almost beat Mandel. We're very they were very close and and the thought is that maybe some of those moderate Republicans may tolerate a Tim Ryan more than a than a JD Vance. So that's what the, that's what Tim Ryan and the Democrats are hoping for. We'll wait to see if that actually happens. But the Tim Ryan uh, you can already tell he's kind of trying to be this every man in his commercials um, playing darts and talking about China <laughs> and uh, they're going to try to paint J.D. Vance as kind of a, a coastal elitist, you know, um, that's going to kind of be the attack plan on that race, I think. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to watch a Democratic candidate in the primary. So before he won, cut an ad criticizing the Democrats. 
Yes, that it was interesting <laughs> why you wouldn't wait until after the primary. But, you know, he didn't have a, a lot of um, a strong challenger uh, with Morgan Harper and uh, Tracy Johnson. Um, he still was able to get well over 60 percent of the vote in that race. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so our second topic is Ohio's 15 congressional races, where the Trump endorsement again proved pretty beneficial. State Senator Teresa Gavron has long been seen as a rising star in her party and in Northwest Ohio, and she was assumed to be the perfect challenger for Marcy Kaptur. But Gavron lost the primary to a guy named J.R. Majewski. And if you're wondering who he is, Majewski works for a nuclear power company and first gained prominence in 2020 by painting a 19,000 square foot Trump campaign sign on his lawn. Like, that's a big sign. Like, I did the math. That's like the square footage of eight of my houses or it's like basketball mansion. Like, yeah, that's a a big Trump sign in your yard. Yeah. And he got Donald Trump's endorsement and then he won. Yeah. Every candidate Donald Trump. Trump endorsed for Congress won in Ohio. The Majewski uh, race is interesting. He got 36% of the vote in a district that's now way more Republican than it used to be. And he stands a really good chance in, in uh, defeating uh, Marcy Kaptur in the fall, you know, which is interesting. Marcy Kaptur is the longest serving member of the Ohio delegation, Democrat from the Toledo area. And uh, it, it just shows you where the uh, where Ohio Republicans are right now. Um, Trump voters showed up on election day. They put Vance over the top. They put the congressional candidates over the top. And when you look at the governor race, you know, Governor DeWine won 48% of the vote, but the the other side combined, you know, had 52% of the vote. So you, you think that a lot of those would be, be Trump supporters. So it was a strong night for the Trump wing of uh, Republican voters. Yeah. Um, Max Miller won up in Northeast Ohio. And over in the other part of Northeast Ohio, another Trump-backed candidate won, Madison Jesiato Gilbert. And she will be taking on former House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes. And that will be another really hotly contested race because that district is actually more Democratic than it used to be. It's it's pretty much a toss up. And Sykes is a super strong candidate with a lot of name ID. Yeah, that is a, a more Democratic district. But, you know, these midterm elections are always kind of about what's happening in Washington and what's yeah. the mood in, in D.C. It's, it's usually kind of a referendum on the president, you know, are people supportive or, or against? And, you know, the the wins right now look like it could be a good Republican year. So even in a district that's drawn fairly uh, Democratic, you could have a surprise there. Could be more competitive. Yeah, I do think Democrats will probably pour a bunch of money into Sykes' campaign, if only because they are concerned about losing Captor's seat, and that would at least be a wash representative. Right, and, and you also have to keep in mind too the um, the kind of the loss of the the Tim Ryan seat too. Yeah, it's kind of drawn out because Ohio lost a congressional seat, so you definitely don't want to lose the Sykes race if you can. Oh, for sure. So our third topic is the statewide race for governor. It's going to be our current Republican governor, Mike DeWine, against Democrat and former Dayton mayor, Nan Whaley. So Whaley won about two thirds of the Democratic vote, and she's also the very first woman to be nominated for the job by any major political party. So, I mean, does that help her? Does that hurt her? Given the the abortion ruling that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, like 
how does this all factor in? Yeah, when it comes to nominating women, the state of Ohio is behind the times. In other states, <laughs> uh, even very conservative states, yeah. have female governors. Ohio's never even nominated a female governor for a major party, uh, from a major party, or or for the Senate race either. Nan Whaley thinks that that is a strong point for her, and the abortion issue is going to be front and center, especially in the governor race, because you know if if Roe v. Wade is overturned, that returns back to the states, and the governor will play a key role in that. So Nan Whaley is already positioning herself as the one of the only people that can can stop that in Ohio. You know, she was the mayor of Dayton for eight years. She dealt with a lot of uh, tragedies in Dayton, the mass shooting and the um, the tornadoes that ripped through the area. And, uh, you know, her and Governor DeWine uh, had a, uh, good, they used to get along. a good relationship. You know, they're both south from southwest Ohio. Yeah. Um, Governor DeWine from the Cedarville area, not that far from Dayton. But when Governor DeWine signed several Gun bills after the Dayton shooting, uh, it, it kind of a riff kind of grew between them, and uh, and Whaley um, didn't have very nice things to say about the governor after he signed those bills uh, after the shooting. So that's going to be uh, an interesting interesting race to to watch because you know Governor Dewine didn't get fifty percent from his own party in his primary, and you know in in. 2018, he did much better in his primary race against uh, Mary Taylor. So what the Whaley people are going to try to do is is appeal to, and not, not so much that you can appeal to probably Trump voters to come and vote for Whaley, but can you keep them from voting for DeWine? Yeah. And I also wonder if, you know, Governor Mike DeWine has been seen as a moderate on some issues. Like we have, especially when it came to his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, he, clo- he moved an election, he closed schools, he closed businesses, he earned the ire of the white right wing of his party. And, you know, he got a lot of positive feedback from from Democrats. But I wonder if this abortion issue is going to keep those moderates who might have swung for DeWine from from pulling that plug because the governor is extremely pro-life in this area. He is 100 percent conservative. Yeah, both candidates in this race. Mike DeWine is 100 percent uh, pro-life and Ann Whaley is 100 percent pro-choice. There is no <laughs> no middle ground there on that issue. And, and that is going to be a big issue, I think, in races across the across the country this fall, and it'll play out in Ohio as well. Governor DeWine, you know, with the with the COVID stuff, and this was something you found out going and talk when we were talking to voters on election day. His popularity with some Democrats was high. Oh yeah, but, um, they liked his handling of COVID, especially when it when it first broke. Yeah, no, I I'm really curious to see how all of this is going to play out in that race. But you also have we also heard from, you know, like some business owners and people who are Republicans who who complained that, you know, regardless of what you think about about governor's COVID policies, you know, small businesses, some of them say, you know, hey, his policies almost cost me my livelihood or I almost lost my business, blah, blah, blah. Are those are those voters going to come back to vote for Mike DeWine? I think it depends on whether any of these independent candidates turn out to be anything. The deadline was last week. No, the deadline was, was it this week or last week? I'm losing my mind. It was Monday, I believe. Yeah, to file. And we pulled a couple of independent candidates, whether they make any waves, whether they raise any money, whether they become a factor like a Ross Perot spoiler. I have no idea. Right. You think about, um, I don't remember exactly the numbers when when Mike DeWine ran against Richard Cordray in 2018. I want to say it was around four or five points difference between them. So if if you assume that Nan Whaley keeps what Cordray got, mm-hmm. you know, can a third party candidate or or someone 
have an impact if the race is close enough. So our fourth topic caught us all by surprise on election day. We made a plan. Everyone on our team knew where we were going to be. And then a U.S. Supreme Court opinion leaked, which number one is wild and has never actually happened before in the history of the Supreme Court. And number two, it was about abortion, a already controversial issue. And it was specifically whether those seeking abortions have federal constitutionally protected rights to privacy for these procedures. And well, it looks like a majority on the court doesn't think so. Yeah, the leaking of this is is a huge deal. And not only is it that it's the le- a leak from the Supreme Court, but it's on like the most iconic case in the yeah. history of the Supreme Court. And, you know, it's, it's going to have a role before the ruling actually comes out later this year. And both sides are gearing up for this fight. Yeah. In Ohio, we have already introduced what's known as a trigger law, which would say that the moment this draft decision became an official opinion, then Ohio would remove all right to abortion here in the state. There would be certain exceptions to this rule for life-threatening situations, but it would be what's known as an affirmative defense, which means if the doctor was charged with the crime of abortion, that um, they could say, hey, this person's my patient patient's life was in jeopardy and I made this choice and here's all the facts of this particular case. But it would be up to individual county prosecutors whether to prosecute these cases. The juries could end up deciding these cases. Like It's not just like there's an exemption. It's more of like this is how you don't end up being punished. Yeah. And it also opens up the the door for like you know, kind of, I wouldn't say abortion tourism, but, you know, women are going, would have to leave the state to get an abortion. They would still be able to get an abortion. They just couldn't get it in Ohio. So are you going to see, you know, like if if you're a woman in the Toledo area or something, you could, you could go up to Michigan, you know, women in the Cleveland area could perhaps go up to like New York state because it's closer, upstate New York is closer to Northeast Ohio than people think. So that's going to be interesting to see how that's going to play out. Yeah. If we end up having that sort of thing happen. Yeah. So I used to be a reporter in Colorado um, before we decided that free babysitting was better than the mountains. And so I have covered this issue out there. And one of the things that was interesting is Colorado is a state where there is no restriction on abortion, surrounded by states with lots of restrictions on abortion. And one of the things that I saw in my reporting out there is you'd go up to Loveland or actually you could go down to New Mexico. I didn't do this one personally because Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains encompasses New Mexico and most of those border clinics are full of out of state plates. Like you go there in the morning and nearly everybody in the parking lot isn't from Colorado. Right. And I, I think that it's possible that we, we could end up seeing something like that in Ohio if this happens, where um, a lot of women are going up to Michigan or going over to New York State or somewhere like that, or even over to Illinois if you're in the western part of the state. Perhaps you'd have to, you couldn't go to Indiana. So that is something that could happen. Yeah. But of course, you have to have the time and the money and the ability to take off work and all of those other factors to make a several hour trip across the border. And one more thing before you go. I want to quickly talk about cameras, specifically the fee some nursing homes are charging families to install them. Ohio passed a law recently requiring nursing homes to let families install cameras in their loved ones' rooms. However, it, according to Titus Wu, one of our reporters, he discovered that families are being charged 200 as much as $800 to install these cameras. Yeah, and this ties to um, elder abuse in nursing homes. Uh, there there was a, it's called Esther's Law um, that, that the state legislature passed um, to allow people to have security cameras put in their loved one's uh, 
nursing home rooms. But what Titus found out from from talking to uh, some folks is that the nursing homes are charging really high fees to have these cameras installed. And it's kind of a way to deter people from using them. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Lancaster Eagle Gazette.